0: Welcome
1: to Blooming Out on Community Radio, WFHB.
2: Blooming Out is a forum by and for the LGBTQ plus community. Each week we
1: explore the issues, events pertaining to the LGBT community in Indiana, the U.S., and internationally.
2: We speak with guests about human rights, coming out, the legality of being gay, and much more.
1: Blooming Out is a multiple award-winning program here on Community Radio, WFHB.
2: Thanks for listening to Blooming Out.
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Blooming Out. I'm Frankie Presslav.
0: I'm Melanie Davis.
3: And I'm Justin Robertson.
1: Well, hello, guys. How are we all doing today? <laughs> Listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> good. How are you, Frankie? I'm. Do- <laughs> well, keep that simple. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I started out like that, but that's, that's our show. Um, awesome. I'm doing good. I, I sent my crew to the Indians game tonight. Oh. Oh, oh, you did? Oh, fun. Yeah, so they went with my well, Uncle Kip. Okay. My brother took them, yeah. and they're all gone. So Kelly's home alone. Oh, yeah. So no, he's pl- plenty. <laughs> he's, happy. he's he's, he's probably plenty, Really yeah. happy. Yeah, he's probably listening now, just rolling his eyes. Yeah. Um. So as yeah, he does every I, time. Every <laughs> time he just looks at you. <laughs> that stare. That stare. How are we doing, Melanie?
0: Oh, uh, we're doing great. Um, one uh, thing that came up this week was uh, a group of parents who of LGBT kids, mm-hmm. and I. I just got the paperwork together and we are forming a uh, a chapter of PFLAG in oh, Bloomington wow. again. What so, so are, I, yeah.
1: yeah, you said something that there wasn't a PFLAG ple- in Bloomington, which I can't get my head wrapped around. There
0: right. hasn't been for the past uh, number of years, actually, since I've been here nine and a half years. Like 100 probably, years. Probably, yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> but th- we're seeing more of a need for it. So. Why, why do
1: you seeing more of a need?
0: A lot of kids are coming out younger and younger, okay, and yeah. uh, you know a lot of parents are are trying to figure that out and how you know they need support too. So what what so. is
1: uh, P flag for those that might not know?
0: P flag is uh, <coughs> parents fa- and uh, families of lesbians and gays, and so okay. uh, it it the name itself is a little bit dated. And right. It doesn't include the whole LGBTIQQA spectrum, yeah. Um, yeah. but it is for everybody there and. Excuse me. It it's mostly for um uh to get together and to share stories and to uh get working on uh local issues or just yourself. It's it's a support group too. Um to just hear from other parents and see how to navigate this whole thing.
1: So, so. do you have to like do a national like uh, you do you talk to the national PFLAG people it, and do It
0: the- is through a national um there is a, a local uh uh-huh. Spencer and uh
1: yeah, they have a. There's a the White going. River Valley. They have a yeah, one over there.
0: yes, yeah, they do. And so we are going to be joining that.
1: Isn't that interesting? Spencer led like in Pride events for like twelve years, and they led in the P flag events forever. Right. And here's Bloomington. Our progressive. We're out. We're doing our thing, and we're like just like learning about this stuff.
0: Right? <laughs> well, <laughs> Good and, for Spencer. And yeah. Bloomington is kind of like you know the ideal where you come and like every, there's just be gay there's you <laughs> just be yourself <laughs> maybe yeah maybe and uh, yeah. and you know in other places where it's it's harder to, to be yourself it's yeah that's a good it point. needs more support yeah. and
1: but they have fantastic people over at oh, yeah. Spencer that are yes. just on top of it. So that's awesome. So that's keeping you busy. That's keeping me busy. Well, I'm glad you're doing that because you always need something to keep
0: right. you busy. I'd and Mr. <laughs> Justin,
1: <laughs> yes. let's see, two weeks ago you killed your dog. or tried No, to. I did not.
3: What are you talking about?
1: What do you mean? Well,
3: you, no, my dog was... <laughs> never give your dog onion powder. Not that I did, <laughs> but like my, your dog. <laughs> my little Ruthie did. Right, it's better. So it he, did, did, food, he so did not intentionally
1: try to no, kill he's, his dog.
3: I did not. It's a horrible thing to say. <laughs> just, my dog is the love of my life. It. I, he is better now. He's good. <laughs>
1: I mean, if I don't harass you, life doesn't mean anything. Okay, <laughs>
3: for you. <Yeah. laughs> no, no, my dog. My dog is doing fine. <laughs> Thank you. And everything else. I and mean, everything else is good. well. I went to my first uh, gay pride in since nineteen ninety seven. Where for wow. twenty one years? Um, I went to the back door. Oh, that, the,
1: but the pride was over then.
3: You no, mean, it, was, you no it was no, it was before. <laughs> I went to the blue plate special. <laughs> okay, I went to it was like six to eight. Yeah, of course she did, <laughs> <Papa>. <laughs> <laughs> Nan mm-hmm. <laughs> Because speaking of Ruthie, she turned twenty one. Oh, she and did. So, yeah, baby Ruthie. So she, yeah, she was there.
1: That's insane, isn't it? It's like, crazy. Okay, that's he, one of his little. I know people he takes <laughs> care of. That's awesome. So good for you. Yeah. So what do we got going on in the news this week? Well, a Catholic adoption agency
3: is closing because they can't discriminate against gay people. The Catholic Charities of Buffalo is ending its adoption program, citing New York's ban on discrimination as the reason. The organization has a contract with the Erie County Department of Social Services to place children in foster and adoptive families. State law in New York does not allow contracting organizations to discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation. Catholic Charities of Buffalo, though, said that placing children in homes with same-sex couples is not consistent with the teaching of the church. We're a Catholic organization, said Dennis Walczek, CEO of Catholic Charities. A same-sex couple approached the agency recently to apply to become foster parents. The agency said that this led to its decision to end all adoption and foster services. Quote, unquote, the Catholic Church holds that the only marriage is between a man and a woman, said Sister Mary McCarrick, Catholic Charities' diocesan director, to explain why the organization wants to discriminate. Discrimination of any kind is illegal, and in this case, OCFS will vigorously enforce the laws designed to protect the rights of children and same-sex couples, said a Children and Family Services spokesperson. In New York State, we welcome all families who are ready to provide loving and nurturing homes to foster or adoptive children. There is no place for providers that choose not to follow the law. Catholic Charities of Buffalo helps arrange about five adoptions each year. Walcheck said that the children they are currently working with will be made aware of other organizations here that provide similar services. This isn't the first time the Catholic Church has come under scrutiny this month. Several weeks ago, a grand jury in Pennsylvania released a report detailing the sexual abuse of over 1,000 children and the church's attempts to cover it up.
1: Well, all I have to say is bye-bye. Right. I mean, you know, I just, people, I don't, you guys know my opinion (laughs) on this one. Yeah. Um, So what what are your thoughts on this, Melanie?
0: I'm... <clears throat> excuse me, it, it, I'm happy to see that they made the right decision and got out of it. Yeah. Um, if they're not going to be uh, following the the rule of the law and, and can't do that in their own conscience, then, you know, pass it off to somebody who will.
4: Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, I think they've done, you know, the Catholic Charities ha- has done a lot of good stuff, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to, you know, trash all that. But I think, you know, when it, it's discrimination, on that and people lose sight of what the real purpose is and it's the children, you right. know, and people like me and, and some of you in the room that, you know, would, would want to foster and adopt. Um, mm-hmm. there and, and there's not a line out the door of people wanting to foster and adopt the uh, PS right. So, you know, you're it's it's ridiculous by, by cutting out a whole sect of people and not allowing them to, to, to participate in this because of bias and bigotry so i don't know i have <coughs> a, a, a difficult one with feeling sorry for that and i think it'll just open it up to some other agencies that will you know actually have the children's best interest at heart and not right. going with exactly. you know whatever so uh, melanie what's going on on your side in the news world
0: prep users are likely to have better overall health practices those who use PrEP for regular protection from HIV infection are also more likely to protect themselves in other ways, according to a new study published in the American Journal of Public Health. Quote, most PrEP users in the United States are gay and bisexual men, a community for whom experiences of discrimination contribute to a higher risk of mental health conditions, substance abuse, and smoking, said lead study author Julia Marcus to Reuters. For this reason, PrEP users stand to benefit from increased opportunities for non-HIV-related screening and treatment, Marcus said. Daily PrEP users are more likely to get tested for a number of other maladies, including hepatitis C and other sexually transmitted infections. They are also more likely to undergo vaccination for the flu, receive tobacco screening, and get care for hypertension and weight issues. The only component PrEP users scored lower on when it comes to when it comes to is hemoglobin A1C testing. While 78% of users were more likely to get a glucose blood sugar test for diabetes, they were 19% less likely to get an A1C test. As patients taking PrEP usually have quarterly checkups, they do have a greater opportunity to access care overall, and this may be helping drive the results in the study. The study's authors also suspect that doctors screening these patients assume that they faced a higher, a greater risk for other than other patients, or that patients using PrEP were simply more likely to take care of their health overall. Researchers spoke to 5,857 patients from a Boston-led community clinic that specializes in sexual and gender minorities. All of the participants were considered high-risk for developing an HIV infection. 35% of the patients received a prescription for PrEP. Of those studies, 40% received flu shots, while greater than 70% received tobacco and depression screenings. 51% Fifty-one percent were given hemoglobin screenings. While a mere fifteen percent were given an A1C test.
1: Wow! So in the studio tonight, we have Julie and Amy from Positive Link right now, and they're um, probably, maybe you know you can chime in on this. But I I found this uh, actually yesterday, and thought that was kind of a cool article um, about Prep. I mean, it's it's kind of new to around this area, um, and it's doing phenomenal things for the community and it's interesting to see that the people you know and it kind of makes sense that people are actively seeking this because the government's not really doing a great job in helping promote Mm -hmm. this for whatever reason maybe we can learn about that tonight um and you know i think this is you know i I, obviously i think by by opening this up and you know getting people on prep um you know makes everybody more aware of what's going on um i don't know any thoughts on this it sounds great to me. I mean, I, I'd be interested to know
3: why this is. I mean, it, do you think it's because people that are taking PrEP have uh, are getting better care, uh, getting more attention in terms of their care from caregivers? Well,
1: I think you have to actively seek going out and right. doing it so you have to self-advocate, right, for yourself. Absolutely. And so at
4: least now. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I know a lot of the agencies now that focus on HIV are... Um, are definitely doing campaigns to go out and, and educate people. So then mm-hmm. I think it's kind of the first tier of people that maybe read the newspaper, that you know have pe- friends and other people that are actively involved in this. So I think that's the first tier of stuff. So I think those people, just educationally, that they have, um, is that such a word? <laughs> <laughs> educationally, you know, them, them smart ones out there. Um, <laughs> um, so I, I think that that kind of makes sense for that but yeah. yes I think uh, but overall as people become more aware and, and the benefits because this is a pill you have to take every day um, mm-hmm. and if you don't you know you're not going to be you're going to be at higher risk for HIV so um, they, they have to know the cause and effect and if you want to participate in it and you want it to do what it needs to do you need to know what your health risk including you know what your partners are doing and what sex right. you know with uh, sex what um, <laughs> S I. <laughs> S-T-I, holy schmoly, Frankie can't talk tonight. Um, so yeah, so I think that probably has a lot to do with it. I mean, that's what Professor Frankie says. I think the
5: other, <laughs> I think the other level to that is that uh, our PREP so counselor is going out and educating um, practitioners yeah. in the community, making them aware of um, what PREP is and um, that it's available. And uh, uh, that way, they, when they go to doctors, that that can be part of a conversation.
1: Right, mm. right. Yeah, th- I think that has a lot to do with, with what's going on. Justin. Okay. On HIV, I think we have.
3: <laughs> Sorry, give me a minute here. Um, okay, HIV can be suppressed with antro uh, antitraviral therapy. Why is, so why isn't everyone using it? Because they can't say it. Um, <laughs> a daily regime of antiviral therapy to suppress HIV can be life-saving to those living with HIV and helps prevent its spread. But why is it so hard to get care to others? And what is holding back progress? An NIH study from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases published in the Annals of Internal Medicine adds more fuel to the discussion of preventing HIV transmissions, pressing for greater understanding on the importance of viral suppression. In the study, it shows that viral suppression via antiviral therapy amongst 31,930 adults at clinics across the US improved from just 32% in 1997 to 86% in 2015. It's a huge jump, but questions remain. The study only covered eight clinical sites across the US, leading to a far smaller sample than could truly tell us how things are realistically improving. What's more, these gains over the last 20 years are not evenly distributed. Some demographic groups are seeing better care than others. Black people living with HIV are not seeing the same level Or care as their white counterparts heterosexuals intravenous drug users have not seen a change in viral suppression from 2013 to 2015 in 2014 the joint United Nations program on HIV AIDS and their partners pushed for a 90 90 90 target to fight against HIV that is, they sought for all countries to diagnose 90% of all HIV infections in their borders, provide antiviral therapy to 90% of those diagnosed, and achieve viral suppression in 90% of those treated. While this study shows that viral suppression has markedly improved in roughly 20 years, it still has a long way to go in an overall population, failing to meet the first 90 What's more, with only the results from eight clinics, even that 86% number is questionable. According to Unaids, 78 million people have become infected with HIV and 35 million have died from AIDS-related illnesses. Worldwide, 36.9 million people were living with HIV in 2017, and 21.7 million with HIV were on antiviral therapy. There were also 1.8 million new infections of HIV in 2017, further stressing the importance of this work. Yet a major funding gap exists to respond to the crisis. Unaids reports a six billion shortfall in funding with more than half of major donor governments decreasing their commitment to fight the infection in 2017. And no new significant donors stepping up to help make up for the shortfall the NIH study does provide a greater understanding of the gaps in viral suppression, particularly how social and economic barriers affect it. Nevertheless, this requires a far deeper level of study and implementation to show really, to show really what makes for change. A lack of funding is hampering these efforts and may lead to worse percentages and more people affected by HIV in the future.
1: So I think what we're going to do is put this discussion on hold. We have uh, Caleb Gasset um, from Damien Center is going to come back on the phone and talk to us from uh, a, more about this exact topic. So just hang on. Um, Lucas, our engineer, is going to take us off to a music break. <laughs>
3: Welcome back to Blooming Out, you have been listening to Cicada by La Luz. We have Caleb Gossip on the phone. He is a program manager in the prevention department at the Damien Center and oversees services focused on community education, leadership, training, and patient care. Since his first internship at the Damien Center in 2014, he has continued to stay involved with HIV and other LGBTQ plus health initiatives. By using his experience in education, he strives to bring awareness and create a passion for HIV as the older queer generation once did, as well as promote a message of empowering the LGBTQ community to live healthier, enhanced lives. As the largest AIDS service organization in the state of Indiana, the Damien Center provides services to more than 4,000 individuals affected and infected by HIV AIDS. Located in downtown Indianapolis, the Damien Center is easy to access and offers a wide variety of programs and services available in-house. By doing so, the Damien Center utilizes a one-stop-shop approach to caring for those affected by HIV and preventing its spread. Welcome, Caleb. We're so excited to have you with us tonight.
6: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: So, um, this is Frankie. I'm Melanie. So, you got the voices. And I'm Justin. That is Justin. <laughs> Stay away from him because, you know, he, uh, he feeds dogs. It's very nice to meet all of you. <laughs> you too, you Caleb. Too. So, Caleb, so tell us a little bit about kind of what you're up to over or up there at the Damien Center right now.
6: Yeah, so I'm a program manager here, and a, the majority of my work is focused on bringing awareness to PrEP, which you guys have talked about a little bit already today, um, but as well as actually getting people on it through our clinic here at our, on our campus. Um, So really trying to address all the needs of people pursuing PrEP, whether it's from them knowing nothing about it to actually retaining them in care and making sure we're eliminating any barriers to that care.
4: Great,
1: great. So you you heard our first article about PrEP, about people that are on PrEP are um, basically better at, you know, looking, um, taking care of their health issues. Um, Are you seeing that as kind of a trend up there?
6: I Definitely, I would agree with that, and I would say that because there are many times that people are getting on PrEP, and that is their first time seeing a provider of any kind in years, maybe even since they saw a pediatrician when they were young with their parents. Um, I think when you're young and there's not really any problem with your health that you can notice, um, I think we just kind of avoid the doctor. I think that's just how our culture is. We're very reactive to health care rather than proactive. Um, so it's definitely allowing them to access care that they may not be able to otherwise
1: so what are the? Um, as far as ages. I mean who are you seeing you know sign up and get more involved with you know learning about prep and going on it?
6: Um, I would say the our patient demographics here We're seeing them all across the board, but I would say the age group 23 to 30 is typically what we see most often um, so what we're trying to do is really access um, some of the younger folks, um, so like 18 to 22, um, I mean, the report just came out that STDs are are hitting a record high yeah, I just in saw the that. country right now. So, um, and majority of new STD infections are found in that age group, so that puts them at risk for getting HIV as well. So we definitely need to make sure we're doing a better job of educating them and giving them the services they need.
1: So do you see the risk people on PrEP possibly? I mean, I I see that they're taking better care of themselves, but in general that because they're on PrEP and they feel they're at risk against the one that everybody has been, like the boogie monster, HIV – have you seen that you know a heightened in um stis within that group or you know as I've talked to some of the younger um LGbt community around here that are on prep it seems and not all of them local some are out east and some of them are Colorado in that area um that it seems like they're not as careful i mean they're you know they're they're not using safer you know sex um
6: Using condom? Yeah, I guess I can say condom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right now, is that that's going to affect an increase condomless sex? Are people going to think that oh, they're they're okay, they don't need to? And I always respond with simply no. I think there are going to be individuals that do have the misconception that oh, I'm on prep, I don't need condoms anymore. Mm-hmm. But here at the Damien Center and many of my other colleagues in the field here locally and across the state are not promoting that. Um, At every follow-up appointment, we do the prep education with them and let them know condoms should be used. We provide them. And from the intakes and interactions I've had with patients here, um, their amount and frequency of condom use doesn't change from the moment they're coming in to start prep from the moment that they're continuing to follow up with us.
1: Are you seeing people actually using condoms at this point that are on prep? Um, Because I can't think of one person I know on prep that admitted to using, uh, maybe five people. I want to say so I don't like throw everybody <laughs> under the bus. Um, <laughs> no, I was say, how do you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I ask it because thank Frankie. I ask everybody. <laughs> I just and I'm I'm being a little dramatic. Okay. Okay. Um, well, but, I understand. Yeah. Um, thank
6: you for understanding. I would say it def- The amount of condom use hasn't changed in our patient our patients from before they were on prep to now when they are prep on prep and seeing us. Um, it's, the Condom use has shown to be decreasing for decades now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think PrEP is going to have a significant impact on that? I don't think we've seen that so far. Um, I think only time will tell moving forward. But, um, again, I haven't seen any changes from before and after. Okay. okay.
1: Um, talk
3: about the Damien Center is a one-stop-shop approach to caring for HIV. Um, What other services do you offer there?
6: So we, the main thing that we offer um, that most organizations do is care coordination. So each of our HIV positive individuals are able to come in and be paired with someone who's going to be able to help them get the services they need here as well as anything externally as well. Um, So that means that they can come into our clinic and actually get the treatment and medications they need. We also provide counseling services like mental health and substance abuse um, as as well as housing for those who are coming here who are HIV positive. And then for prevention, um, we have free HIV and STD testing, no appointment needed, so it's all walk-in five days a week, actually six, some Saturday hours as well. And then we do prescribe PrEP and PEP here in our clinic and are able to provide that and get people appointments when needed.
3: That's wonderful, Caleb. And what is your address and telephone number? How do people get in touch with you?
6: Yeah, so as um, Frankie had said, we are located in downtown Indianapolis. Our address is 26 North Arsenal Avenue. We're on the east side of downtown by Angie's List and Arsenal Tech High School. Our number is 317-632-0123.
1: So that's great. So um, can you just kind of run us down, like, a, you know, going backwards a little bit, but just what your day looks like um, at the Damien Center as far as what your position is and what involvements you have?
6: Yeah. So my program, as I mean, as a program, is relatively new. I was brought in in this position in February 2017, and through my leadership, I've been able to expand and grow our PrEP services to not only include and better serve the patients in our clinic for prep, but also really increasing the amount of awareness, outreach, and community education that we do. So it's always split into those two categories. And with the outreach initiatives that we're doing, we put on popular opinion leader program training, which is a free two-day training we put on every quarter, as well as we do it for staff of different organizations that request it. And simply, it's just teaching those people who are going through the training on what HIV is how it's developed over its time, as long as we've known about it, um, about PrEP and PEP, all the advancements in prevention, as well as how do you have those conversations with people? How do you use that information to really be an advocate and make a difference in your community?
1: Well, that's a a busy day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot
6: of talking to the community as well as managing um, our patients, too. I oversee two employees that that help with all those different initiatives, so uh, I have a really great team here, and everyone else that aren't in the prep department, they're all also willing to help at any time just to make sure that we're achieving our goals and serving the community in the best way.
1: Do you guys also um, go into the high schools and the college campuses?
6: Yeah, so we actually are attempting to collaborate with the Indiana Youth Group, which is an LGBT organization here that uh, provides a safe space and education and a multitude of opportunities for LGBTQ youth. And so they actually have a GSA representative that works with GSAs across the state, and we are going to collaborate with them to actually provide some of that education piece to the GSA students as well as the staff and faculty.
1: So you will actually be going into the schools themselves? or Yeah,
6: so the GSA representative at IYG actually acts as a resource to make sure they're getting everything they need, and I believe all the GSAs, put on different types of programs. So, where so, GSA is, I'm sorry. so whenever they're in need of any health-related um, programming, we're, we're going to be there as a resource to help them out with that. Because um, I think uh, when it comes to sex education in Indiana, I think we definitely lack and do the bare minimum. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we're just trying to help get that information to those youth who, like I said earlier, are having the highest incidence of new STI infection, so they're really needing to be educated and know where they can get resources for that. Right,
1: mm-hmm. but outside the, that population of students, um, you're not being invited into the schools? And
6: At, at this time, we haven't had any invitations, um, but if there were anyone across the state of Indiana, not only Indianapolis, that would want us to come in and do that sort of education or just provide informational handouts, then we would be more than willing to do that. Yeah, I
1: mean, this is like a no-brainer bri- that, you know, with, with the increase with STIs and mm-hmm. HIV, um, it should be written to the state legislation that, you know, agencies like yourself um, are man- mandated to show up. I mean, it's just a crime that you guys aren't, uh, aren't there just, you know, part of the curriculum. Right. So we That'd appreciate be you being here. Um, we're going to take a music break, but thank you so much for, for your time.
6: Thank you. Thank
1: you so much. Okay, and we'll thank you, Caleb. Look at uh, hearing from you very soon, probably the next month. Okay. (laughs)
6: Yeah, we'll see you then. You guys have a great day. All All right, you 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 too. Bye,
1: Caleb. Okay, Lucas is gonna take it away with our next music break in community minutes.
7: Out here on WFHB. Um, We've been listening to uh, the album Floating Features by La Luz. The two songs we've played so far are Cicada and we just listened to um, Mean Dream. So uh, La Luz. Um, Now moving on to the community calendar. Let's see, September 1st, that's Saturday, we have the 4th Street Festival of Arts and Crafts, and that is on 4th Street, between Indiana Avenue and Grand Street. Um, so that is a free festival, it's from 10 till 6, 10 a.m. till 6 p.m. Um, there are vendors, local artists, um, the Writers Guild, uh, lots of music, um, so check that out, that's uh, on September 1st and September 2nd. And then we also have occurring at the same time, Bloomington Garlic Fest, and that's at 3rd Street Park, which is 331 South Washington Street. Um, garlic is good. And then also, um, coming up soon, we have the September 5th, that's Wednesday, at 10 a.m., we have the LGBT Aging and Caring Network Breakfast at Cloverleaf Family Restaurant. Um, and this is their uh, monthly meeting to support senior citizens who are lgbtq along with allies um and that is again at the cloverleaf family restaurant on september 5th at 10 a.m all right now that we've uh gone through some events i'm going to throw it back to blooming out
0: welcome back you have been listening to mean dream by leluz tonight we have with us in studio julie hiles and amy hay from iu health bloomington hospital positive link Julie is a social worker at Positive Link. She began an an, an internship in 1994 with Positive Link. Once the internship was completed, Julie was hired and began her work at Positive Link. She continued her education, earning a master's in social work. Julie has been with Positive Link for over 24 years. With much enthusiasm, Julie states, I loved it so much I never left.
8: Hello.
3: (laughs) Hi, Julie.
0: Amy Hayes' uh, background is... I, education. However, she states she is a social worker at heart. Amy has been with Positive Link for ten or 16 years. She began as a volunteer and moved to a care coordination position after she began her employment with Positive Link. Amy said she never looked back. IU Health Positive Link is a program of IU Health Bloomington Hospital Community Health. Positive Link is South Central Indiana's preeminent provider of comprehensive HIV education, testing, and client services. Our program consists of 17 individual Individualized programs including HIV testing, hepatitis C testing, harm reduction counseling, case management, and substance use counseling for people living with HIV. Linkage to care for individuals newly diagnosed or lost to care, housing case management and subsidy programs, nutritional programming, and our Positive Link Health Clinic, which provides HIV primary care as well as access to pre exposure prophylaxis. Our program. Uh, programs reach over 48 counties in
5: Indiana. Welcome.
1: Well, welcome. Thank guys. you. Thank you. You're busy. 48 counties.
8: 48 yes. counties, yeah.
1: So, yeah. is that um, so everything south of Bloomington, or I'm?
8: Some south. We have them all directions, actually. We have the East Central region in Indianapolis, uh, the Western region, South Central uh, suburbs of Indianapolis, and the West Central region. Wow. So, yeah. So
3: that's a lot of people.
8: Yeah it is we've really grown this year Um, our boss jill stowers has put in um, a lot of time work doing grants and so we got um, lafayette we got some uh, stuff going on up there Muncie, um, of course, Bloomington, surrounding. So we're Paoli. We're kind of all over the place. So mm-hmm. Terre Haute,
1: Terre Haute yes. as well. Mm-hmm. Was there other agencies covering that before, or were those just counties that weren't touched at this point, or just had limited access? Just
8: had limited access, and we applied for some funding. Okay, so you um, some funding became available for some different programs besides care coordination and that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah.
1: So why don't we talk a little bit about you guys, um, as far as you know, what your daily life at Positive <laughs> kind of looks like after so many years
8: yes um, so the day in the life of a care coordinator at a positive link uh, varies from day to day you never know what you're gonna get I think one of the things I love the most is that there are standards that we have that we do yet It's still different, and you have to make decisions. And so there's days I think, oh, I'm going to see five people today, and it's going to be great, and nobody shows up, so I do paperwork all day. And then days I think, oh, I'm going to do paperwork all day. Um, Everybody shows up, and there's crisis, and then you take care (laughs) of it. So, um, yeah, it's a great place to work. I can't imagine being anywhere else. Just
1: keeping the diversity going. Yes, exactly. (laughs) All the time. So what what are typical things that – why is somebody going to need a care coordinator?
8: Um, So our services are for people who are HIV positive. Um, Other than that, that's all we need. You know, we can accept a referral from anywhere. And we actually have four different uh, groups of programs. We have our prevention services. We have client services. We have housing services. And then we have uh, clinical services. Amy and I are both care coordinators, so we're in the client services. So that's what we speak to. Uh, So essentially what happens is either someone walks in, they make a call, we get a referral, and we would do an intake assessment with a client, find out what their needs are, and then link them to either places within our building that we can meet their needs or link them into the community to meet those needs. So if they need housing, we help them with housing. If they need insurance, we help them with insurance. If they need um, medications, doctors, counseling, you name it, we do it. And I always tell clients, ask me because the worst I can say is no, like Mm -hmm. we kind of do everything. So we're able to help people with those needs.
1: So where's the money, the funding coming from to support you?
8: We are a, we are part of Bloomington hospital, but we are a grant from the Indiana state department of health. So the federal, so Ryan white money. So Mm -hmm. the federal government, Ryan white monies, they give it to the state and then the state decides what they're going to do with those monies. So we are uh, mostly granted from the Indiana state department of health we do have some other grants, and honestly, I can't remember what <laughs> Our boss Jill yeah. takes care right, of all that, right, so right. I'm not and going to, to share all of it. But, but a big chunk of it do is Do You guys ISDH. do
1: um, like local fundraising um, at all?
8: Yes, we have a um, AIDS walk every year. Um, and that is our main funding. B- since we're part of IU Health, mm-hmm. we can't do fundraising. Right. So the local CAG, the Com- Community AIDS Action Group, they do a lot of that funding okay. for us because we can't actually do it. Right. Um, so we do it under their umbrella, and they help us out and do that.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. So how many clients do you guys um, oversee? I guess. We,
5: we have. F- a- go ahead. There are four of us, um, four care coordinators, and we each have between forty and. 50. Yeah. Uh, f- 40 wow. to 55 each. It, mm-hmm. it vacillates. but
1: and and, and, and you know, once they are on board their clients, mm-hmm. you have them
5: forever.
8: forever? If they want to. I mean, really, once they're in services, um, they can stay with us as long as they want. And like Amy said, it kind of ebbs and flows. You know, someone might come in as crisis. We get them kind of leveled right. out. And then, you know, something else may come up or they may just stay like that or vice versa. I'm
1: sorry. So what does a crisis look like? And I know it's different for every individual. Yes, it's
8: completely different. Um, A crisis could be they lose their job. um, They lose their insurance. If you lose your job, then you lose your housing. You know, they just or they can't they don't have access to medications or um, any of those things you know, can cause someone to be in and be like, uh, I need this, 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 and this right now. And
1: because they're on meds, a lot of them, and having housing and having health care and consistency within their lives is so important, you know, and one of those drops off, then that puts the person in crisis and it makes it more difficult, right?
8: All of those things affect someone's medical health. So I don't think people think of the big
1: picture of what that means.
8: No, no, no. And a lot of times what we will tell people is that HIV gets them in the door, but usually that's the last thing we deal with. I mean, because most of the time, if you don't have a housing, you're, how are you going to be able to take your medications? Right, right, so yeah. although that gets them in the door, we do a lot of other things to get them stable, and then we can deal with their HIV and taking your meds and, and all that kind of stuff that goes mm-hmm. along with HIV.
1: So with the influx of the homeless population in Bloomington and you know, the last several years, um, are you seeing an influx as far as clients coming from that population?
5: M- yes, um, more recently in the last year. Oh, just within um, the last year, with uh, the the increase in uh, h- addiction issues in oh, Bloomington, uh, Monroe County, surrounding
8: counties. So, yes, th- so the, yeah, so that's
1: pushing it. So, are you guys? You know, you have four case managers at this time
8: right but we have a whole housing department so that's all they do so there's four housing people so even though there's four care coordinators there's four housing people so we are making those referrals to that housing department and they're helping us get them linked into housing
1: okay great so it's time to take our last music break Uh, please don't skip out on us we'll be right back with more of our discussion with Amy and Julie from positive link I'm
3: Welcome back to Blooming Out. We've been talking to our special guests, Amy and Julie from Positive Link. And Julie, you've been there for a long time. What did you say, 24 years?
8: Yes, it was 24 years in May, actually, is when I started my internship. So wow. Yeah. So,
3: from the very beginning, as we were yes. just talking about. Yeah. yeah, Can you tell us a little bit about how Positive Link came about?
8: Yes, I sure well, can. <laughs> um, so, uh, in 1992, It was uh, public health nursing, so we were not even part of IU Health at that time. And they got a grant from the Indiana State Department of Health to do only uh, case management services for people who are living with HIV. Uh, So I came on two years later in 94. We were under public health nursing and then in 1996, the, it was Bloomington Hospital at that time that we became under their umbrella. They kind mm-hmm. of bought us. Um, and so then when we came on board with IU Health, we were under them. When we started out, there was like maybe three or four of us working mm-hmm. in care coordination, and we only did client services. We didn't have any of our housing. We didn't have any prevention, no clinical um, at the time, the uh, what is now uh, Centerstone, or uh, yeah what is now Centerstone, the uh, Behavior Health Center, they did the volunteer portion uh-huh. and they did the prevention portion of uh, caring for people who were living with HIV. And then that came under our umbrella. I'm not sure what year that was, but we kind of took uh-huh. that over. Um, and like I said, when I first started, there were just a few of us doing it. Uh, when I first started, we were doing a lot of my job mainly at the time. Sadly enough, was planning funerals. I mean, that's oh, yeah. the it was social a part of time. it. Yeah, I that's mean. what I did. I, I uh, went t- with people to their doctors. They weren't. They just started some medications. Right. Um, so I did a lot of funeral planning. It was all crisis management the entire time.
3: Well, back then, it was still pretty much a death sentence.
8: Oh, yes, yes. Right. I mean, from the time, if you were diagnosed uh, with HIV, usually within one or two years, you had AIDS, and from one or two years from that, then right. you were deceased. Yeah. Uh, so um, a lot of crisis management was what I did when I first came, and it's totally transitioned into prevention case management, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to... Uh, get people back to work people are living they're having jobs they're doing great so a lot of what amy and i do right now is insurance 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 (laughs) is what we do right now um which is so wonderful that Mm -hmm. that is how it has transitioned and it's where we are today and it's fabulous getting seeing people living healthy lives getting married having kids insurance health doing great so it's 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 been a fun ride (laughs) it must be
1: you know you kind of get your head wrapped around from from that time when you first, you know, Mm -hmm. were dealing with crisis today to kind of visualize what would it ever be that, you know, that it wouldn't be a death sentence and people, there was a pill called PrEP.
8: Yeah, yeah, and and that's what's amazing because I think for so long we thought the cure was going to be either, you know, immunization or something like Mm -hmm. that, but really what the cure We have found now is being in services, being on PrEP, you know, we can get people to where they are not becoming HIV positive because they are doing PrEP and they're taking care of themselves. And, you know, that could kind of be the cure, so to speak. Very mm-hmm. proactive instead of reactive. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, you know, cool to kind of hear it. As a younger, when you guys, and back in the day, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess, you know, getting that wrapped around your head as far as dealing with so many deaths and, you know, just kind of a black time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, yourself, is just your personal health, as your mental health of trying to kind of pull through this and stay with it for mm-hmm. so many years. Yeah. Um, you know, how, how do you kind of put... Things in to make things normal within your life when you see such.
5: I think that that um, who we work with, um, it's twofold. The 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 clients that we work with um, help us um, keep going, absolutely, because they're amazing amazing people. Yes, yes. Um, and the coworkers um, we have a we have a really great camaraderie and um that keeps us that honestly keeps us uh going insane and positive and and uh sometimes n- not positive and that's okay too right <laughs> um but it's it's a very healthy balance i think and we Absolutely. work really hard and we um our we get we have a very um good balance from our um uh, manager um the work-life balance is is really stressed Uh, upon us which is helpful
1: right yeah i mean you know even now with just so much you know where where crisis go and it just runs in so many different places i think that it's you know you you still you know even though it's not necessarily a death sentence it's just you know one of those difficult things yeah um still a lot to deal with definitely
3: yeah Yeah. so how have um the clients changed throughout the years do you have do you have more now than you did in the beginning Yeah, yeah, yeah Yeah, yeah
8: like amy were saying we probably have about 200 we're i think we're all close to about 50 each whereas i feel like in the past we were like 35 40 each and there are four of us but we're all really close to, i think all of us have about 50 so it has definitely increased um over the years like i said earlier it's just a lot of helping them navigating living really right. you right. know um instead of navigating death we're navigating life which right. is you yeah. know fabulous and, and 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 Amy and I both have a handful of clients that we had and I had in 94 and 96 I have oh, a couple really? you yeah. still have wow. the same I ones I have I have a couple yeah that have oh, been with no. me the I have a couple that have been with me since the day I started Um, So that's really neat to see them progress, you know, because a lot of them will talk about, you know, I thought I was going to die, so I jacked up all these credit cards. (laughs) (laughs) Then I lived, and so now i got to deal with it. Um, So we help them deal with that. Um, So we have a couple like that, and then it's also interesting to see... um, But that's a
1: real problem. Yeah. Because there's, I guess, this whole group um, in California, and they thought they were all dying, right? And so they went to California. They were on SSI, I think, Mm -hmm. at that time. They were just kind of living their life and having as good a time that they could and they were waiting to die yeah. and they didn't and then social security comes knocking on the door and, <laughs> <laughs> and said, you know, that yeah. time has expired, you're still here and they're kind of freaking out yeah, Um yeah. because now, you know, they weren't supposed they to be here and they're not. here and they, Are in trouble.
8: I have two to three clients like that that the Medicare Social Security Mm -hmm. did their review and I was like you can work and they had been working but they were just in that transition period of letting go of that to working full time and I have three clients yeah that have done their reviews it's like okay yeah you can go back to work. I and just, they're doing that and we're helping them Yeah, do that. I just
1: learned that, you know, heard, yeah. heard about that yeah. story, these guys. That's a wild story. <laughs> so, yeah. And just, they just—they made it. We yeah. have to look yeah. into yeah, it. Yeah, they yeah. made it. So um, tell us a little bit about like where you're located and some of the other events that you guys have going on.
5: Um, we are at uh, 333 East Miller Drive um, over by Bloomington South High School, kind <clears> of. Um, phone number 812-353-3225. Um, and uh, we've got lots of, lots of programs going on. We have, we have food nutrition programs. Um, I'm going to give a little plug for something that I do, uh, which is going to gear up here soon. It's called Gifts of Grace, and I think this is our 16th year, 16th or 17th year. And it's linking uh, people in, in the Bloomington and surrounding communities with our clients and our clients' families. Um, so we will, we'll be getting that out soon. And if anybody is interested, please give us a shout.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much. We're out of time. But before we go, I want to just thank you guys for, for being part of mm-hmm. uh, Blooming Out tonight. Uh, it was thank you for having us. Yes, thank, thank you, you awesome very much. It was a great interview. Additional thank you to all of our listeners and volunteers who made this possible.
0: I'm Melanie Davis.
3: Blooming Out was produced by Frankie Presloff. Our executive producer is WFHB News Director Wes Martin. Lucas Fisher is our engineer. Blooming Out's community liaison is Alex... Ashken, our trusted intern is Jasper Tony. For Blooming Out and WFHB, I'm Justin Robertson,
1: and I'm Frankie Pressleff. And remember, if everything was straight, roller coasters would be one long boring ride. Good night from our Blooming Out family.
4: I
8: gotta stand down, but I gotta be-
2: You've been listening to Blooming Out on WFHB. Blooming Out is a product of WFHB's News and Public Affairs Department.
1: Tune in every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. for Indiana's only LGBTQ plus news and
2: public affairs program. You can hear this and other programs online at WFHB.org.
1: Comments and suggestions for future topics or guests can be sent to bloomingout at WFHB.org.
2: That is blooming-o-u-t at wfhp.org. And thank you for listening.